my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's showtime. Right, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the VHS Strikes Back. I am one of your hosts, Chris, and my co-host and very good friend is Dave. Hey there, Chris, and hello to our listeners out there. Welcome to the VHS Strikes Back, the show where we dust off the older video player and go on a nostalgic journey to look at the good and the bad movies of yesteryear. Now, Chris, what are we going to review this week? Whoa, whoa, whoa. What <laughs> is the fucking tone all about? How dare you do that to me? The old switcheroo so early. Right, anyway, <laughs> we are covering, Dave, one of my top five movies of all time. And it is one of my top five movies. I've got a story and I've been wrestling with do I say it or not to take the fucking podcast in a nosedive. But I thought, no, I'll be transparent <laughs> as long as you indulge me. He'll be a bit sad, I think, or a bit miserable, but I do want to tell you. But anyway, we're going back to 1987. And you know, Dave, most of the time, I like a good sequel. You know, I love Lethal Weapon. That's the best one. But when it comes to other movies, I like the fact that the second one usually is bigger. Sometimes not always better, but you know the characters, they're comfortable. It goes like over the top Hollywood with act- in action movies especially. So this is one of my favourite movies. It was bought at the same time as Lethal Weapon. I've told you all the story before. I've got me, my old man bought it with me for something like my 10th birthday, which really was for himself. And uh, yeah, I absolutely love this. So this is Eddie Murphy, Dave, in one of my favourite movies of all time, Beverly Hills Cop 2 from 1987. So Dave, what recollection have you got of this movie? And I'm just going to warn you now, you better be fucking steady on this day. <laughs> <laughs> So, Chris, I used to love this one as a kid. I think when I look back, I, I think I, I was quite partial to a sequel as well. Like you say, the the Lethal Weapon 2 as well, when we went back to that, I think I had a lean in towards that. Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think, you know, definitely had a lean into that. You definitely lay in the groundwork in that first movie and then, you know, you're turning it up to 11. But with it was only, you know, doing this podcast that when we went back in, say, Lethal Weapon, you realize, holy shit, they, they really turned up everything. Like, they turned up the comedy, the action, everything. And I think they, they've done a little bit of that here as well. I think they, they've leaned into the comedy more, haven't they, than in the first one. And so I think that's when we were kids. That, that's probably why we were leaning more towards the sequels for these, you know, buddy cop movies. But yeah, absolutely love this. And Eddie Murphy was, he was huge, wasn't he, at this time? Yeah. Just absolutely massive. And I remember seeing an interview of him when he was saying about, you know, younger people just think I'm the donkey out of Shrek. (laughs) (laughs) It's mad, isn't it? Because he was so massive around this time and a big part of our lives. And, you know, but generations after that, just know him more as a kind of voice actor. No, it's true that. and and. I think you're right. Even going into like the 90s, Dave, with um, The Naughty Professor and that, that was like quite a groundbreaking movie. Obviously, Coming to America was after this. That was a great movie. You know, see, these loads of 48 hours. I know another 48 hours didn't live up to the billing, Dave. I'd bigged it up as a sequel. That was probably a mistake compared to the first one, which we'll probably have to do at some point. But... Yeah, this this is a movie that means so much to me. And the reason I was, I was contemplating with the story, Dave, was 
Lethal Weapon and Beverly Hills Cop 2 were on as a, in a loop in our house, as, as you know, all the time. And it was a bit of a safe sanctuary type movie for me because when we were watching that movie, Dave, we weren't getting any aggro. And I don't really want to go too much detail into it. This isn't getting the violins out or anything like that. But it was a movie where all I'll say is my house was at peace, Dave, like Lethal Weapon. You had two hours of good grace and no aggro. So that's why I think it resonates so much with me. I love it so much. I know it off by heart. I I could watch it. I, I said to you, like, but sometimes if we're covering these movies, we always watch them to, like separately and then we come and talk about them. But it's one of them, I'm sure you're the same, and there's people out there, these movies that I don't need to watch because I could literally go to you, right, let's record now because it, I've seen it so many times and this is one of them. So it's a very, very special movie, Dave. And I even had it on VHS and then used to rent it from the video shop if I was at my grandparents, which is ridiculous. It's like, why don't I just bring my copy <laughs> round? But there was something about having the big the big video version, as you said, the quality was better on it and all that. So I, I used to even rent it from there. So I just, I've had every iteration. The only iteration I've not got is a Blu-ray. I've got a specialist in DVD of it. But yeah, I think I'll probably correct that at some point. You're saying about the comedy though, Dave, if you want to see one of the worst Beverly Hills Cop films, watch the third one. Because that, <laughs> whatever you think of this movie is a pile of shit. And I know they're making a new one with the original cast for Netflix and that. I'm just praying it sort of goes back to Beverly Hills Cop 1, Beverly Hills Cop 2 hybrid, because you're right, this is a bit more of a slapstick at times in this movie. Yeah, it absolutely is. And um, you know what? I went on a, a little bit of a rabbit hole, Chris, because I thought, well, some of the older characters are, you know, a certain vintage that we are now. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking. So John Taggart... The uh, the older cop, the, yeah. the more thinning John Ashton, type cop. So John Ashton, yeah. yeah. So he was born in 1948, right? <laughs> so I, if, say, I worked all the maths. <laughs> so basically, Chris, he was 39. <laughs> oh my god! Oh hey, my you god! Whippersnapper, if you like. <laughs> I, was just, I was looking that up and I was like, I almost couldn't, I couldn't watch the movie or I couldn't focus on the movie for several minutes because I was like, no, 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 surely not, surely not. <laughs> but then, then Chris, I looked at, uh, what's the other guy, the older? Oh, Bogomil, uh, Andrew Bogomil. Bogomil. Yeah, Robocop, yeah, yeah uh, Ronnie Cox. Yeah. So uh, he was born in 1938, Chris, which would make him 49. He looks well. (laughs) We look great for our age, Dave. (laughs) It's just like, oh, fuck off. You are not just marginally older than me, Chris. Oh my god. Oh my day, what is going on? We've talked about this. Horrendous, isn't it? It's a different generation. And like Taggart, he looks about fucking mid-50s, doesn't he? And fucking (laughs) Bogomil looks like he's ready to retire. Oh my god. And we're closer to fucking Bogomil than we are Taggart now, Dave. That's the problem. Oh like I say, Taggart's a wee whippersnapper now, isn't he? So fucking hell. (laughs) That is terrible, isn't it? It is. That's fucking terrible. Oh, it my is. God. It absolutely is. But, um, Chris, should we get into our trailer? Let's go. All of you eat the floor now. Go! 
Axel Foley is back. Who is he? I'd say he's a cop. <laughs> this is a Detroit badge. What the hell are you doing in Beverly Hills? I'm going deep, 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 deep undercover. Back where he doesn't belong. Excuse me, we're the owners of this house. They're in Hawaii for a week while the construction's happening. I'm Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Billy Inspector. You've stolen this house. How do you steal a house? It's my uncle's house. <laughs> Reunited with all his old buddies. What the hell's going on here? Who the hell are you? I'm Johnny Wishbone, psychic extraordinaire. If you need me, just think Johnny Wishbone and I come running. Lots and biddles. It's like kibbles and bits, but different. Oh, this is a big mistake, a big mistake. Would you lighten up and take some risk? This is definitely breaking the law. So how long would it take to shave those legs anyway? I suppose you're trying to be charming. Actually, I'm just offering my grooming services. Get out of here, you degenerate! I want you out of here! Is this a black thing? Hey! Say your love, you're gonna break it! I need authorization. Authorized! Are we having a problem here? You have to! Act the Foley! And this is Max. And Max kills cops for a living! Beverly Hills Police Captain Andrew Bogomel, Detective Billy Rosewood and Sergeant John Taggart are trying to figure out who is behind the alphabet crimes, a series of mostly high-end store robberies distinguished by their monogrammed envelopes with an alphabetic sequence the assailants leave at the crime scene. Now, Chris, what do you like to make of the opening of this movie. You better fucking tone this down now. I don't like your <laughs> wording at all. So, you know what, Dave? I didn't realise it was directed by Tony Scott. All the thing, Obviously, I love Last Boy Scout as well. He did that top mm. run, obviously, and other movies. But uh, originally, it was supposed to be set in Europe. And Eddie Murphy's like, nah. And he's right. How could you have Beverly Hills Cop set in fucking Europe? <laughs> that would have made no sense. But for me, it's so familiar. It starts off with the... The, the flash sign and you get the little clicky noise. The one thing, Dave, and even as a kid, and I will critique the movie, even though I love it, is how the fuck does Bridget Nielsen not get arrested in this movie, right? <laughs> she stands she out a little bit, doesn't she? <laughs> six foot blonde with short, slick back hair. All she's got is these fucking shades on that looks like something out of Back to the Future in 2015, one of the ones who were chasing Marty across the bloody, you know, clock tower bit, the river bit, at the lake, sorry. And it's like, she's in white. She's in, you know, it's not like she's got a fucking different wig on or whatever. You know, I know we did like, what's it, Cobra, didn't we, that she was in and things like that. But mm. I'm like, it, it still bugs the fuck out of me. 
that nobody thinks, you know, they just and they wish you wash it off in the soil. Oh, yeah, six foot blondes everywhere in Beverly Hills. Not like that, there isn't, you know what I mean? So that's one bit that pisses me off. However, it's so familiar. I fucking love it, Dave. I, 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 I'm, I'm joking about how you think about it because I just, we haven't even discussed it. You've not given me any things on it. But for me, Dave, this is like my. I know it's not early 90s, but this is perfection when it comes to my action movies. And Eddie Murphy's just on form for me. So go on, Dave. Hit me with this. I'm going to hate this. Well, but... I mean, we'll get into that in a second. But I will say, Chris, what I, I found out was you mentioned about Tony Scott there. Had a bit of an affair with Bridget Nielsen. This was the movie that kind of killed her and Sliced Alone. Oh, my word. Sliced Alone, we obviously see in a Cobra poster later in the movie. And yeah. which was born out of the script of Be- the original Beverly Hills Cop. So it's all connected, Chris. But I have to say, Tony Scott, fair play, punching a bit there. <laughs> she was stunning at this point in her life, Dave. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at Tony Scott, I just think, uh, I mean, that's got to be a bit of a power grab, hasn't it? That's what yeah. You know, um, but yeah, fair play, Tony. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I. I have to say, like I said, I, I remember the feelings of loving this, but Chris, I haven't watched this for a long time. I, I don't think I've watched this since probably the late 80s, early 90s. Um, so I, I remembered almost nothing when we looked at the trailer last week. I, I didn't even remember that Bridget Nielsen was in it. And, you know, it, it, I actually think it starts off... I don't, I don't want to say a bit slow, because Bogomil gets bumped <laughs> off, doesn't he? But, yeah. You know, you're like, what is going to happen here? But as soon as he got shot, I was like, well, it it was a bit weird, wasn't it? A bit, I don't think it was great the way they saw him off. Because, like, she's got this whole setup, and then she get, she hands him the, the, the note with the, the letter on and stuff. And then the person with the drive-by shoots him. But she's right there. Also with a gun, because she shoots him later. I'm like, this is a little bit convoluted, isn't it? Just fucking shoot him. (laughs) But I did think, I thought, are they really going to kill him? Or is he just going to be severely wounded? And and sure enough, that's that's what he was. And when, when it comes in, I mean, you get Eddie Murphy cranked up to 11, don't you? And he's doing this uh, sting. Is it like a sting card operation? Sting. Yeah, this, credit yeah, card sting. Um, Ace is called. And yeah. the, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's something about the, the dialogue, but it's so over the top, isn't it? And, and you know, he's saying about, I am a businessman and you know, time is money and all of this. And the guy, the haircut, the amount of hairspray they obviously got through in the 80s, it, that bit definitely felt nostalgic, you know, without without remembering too much of it. And then I was thinking, you know, if you're a police officer in Detroit, I mean, it's, it's got to be a limited lifespan where you can actually be undercover. Yeah. Because surely, you know, it's not a, a city of infinite people. You know, and you've got this loud mouth, uh, fucking Axel Foley character. I'm sure, uh, surely you do one undercover operation and that's it. You have to move cities or something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually thought this this started off, I, it, I did enjoy the bit where Eddie Murphy's going, you know, right over the top and, you know, he's almost caught out. But what I love about him 
this character is he's just such a fucking chancer, isn't he? You know, and it's even black, when yeah. the the guy you know spots him, he's like, oh, you know, you were part of that. Um, I lost a bunch of something. I can't remember what it was. He's, he's the guy from the start of Beverly Hills Cop One, and the cigarette thing in the truck. He's the guy who goes, oh, let's right. get the fuck out of his mate. Drives it, and he legs it, doesn't he? When the police come, you know, and they're going, on, and and that's him. That's the guy. That's right, what he says. Right. He goes, You're the guy with the truckload of cigarettes up there. I'm going to, you know, remember I told you about him. Well, I wasn't <laughs> sure if it that's him. I, I didn't know it was from the first movie. It was yeah, obviously yeah. from a previous event, you know, but he's just like, hey, this guy's a cop, you know, and yeah. so he completely flips it, even though this guy is fucking related. You know, and so <laughs> in the end, you know, his quick talking and everything just gets him out of a the spot there. And of course, you get the fucking angry captain. And I remember I you saying him. about that line. And it's it's such a fucking weird line. I don't understand it, Chris. Can you can you help me understand what does it mean? I, well, it's like <laughs> Axel, stop thinking. It makes me dick itch. Don't I'm think, like, Axel. It makes me what? dick itch. It's Dave. <laughs> That is a Phelps line of folklore. That is a Phelps line that I have recited since 1988 with me and my fucking brothers. Don't think Axel makes my dick itch, Dave. I don't know what it means, but it has stayed for 30-odd years in the Phelps, or 33, 34 years in the Phelps family as a word that we will throw out nonchalantly. And then if someone puts in the WhatsApp group, even now, Dave, and someone puts on purpose, one of my sisters will do it as well, don't think, Axel, and you know someone's just going to come back and go, I will come on the voicemail going, makes my dick itch all. They're going to put the fucking word in. He is he, unbelievable because he wasn't even an actor. And in, I've said this when we did the first one. He was a police chief, Dave. He actually was a copper. And that's what was so good about him. I love Inspector T. Inspector Todd, he's fucking great. And Paul Reiser, obviously, is Jeffrey. He's useless, Dave. You know, he's like, <laughs> the fucking Axel gives him the Ferrari, which is a Magnum PI, uh, PI Ferrari, Dave. 308 GTS, which I do appreciate. Nice. I think that's why he's got everything... I like, you know, he's got the car at the start, which I always used to think, why don't he drive that to Beverly Hills? But the one thing you've touched on, and I will give you pops, uh, props on, is there's no way Axel Foley, the media coverage world yeah, across America for what he did. Because when he rings up the hospital or rings up the police department to find out about Bogomil, just before he starts having a go at these guys about the credit cards and it's on the news. And the woman goes, what, the one from Detroit was? And it's like, well, she knows who he is. Of course, just by saying it's fucking <laughs> Axel Foley, you know what I mean, in LA. So you're right. And that whole scene is ridiculous. You know, Ace and the fucking, they meet that guy before in the bar and she, he goes, yeah, she, this is Judy. She can suck a golf ball and all this. And it's just Oh, yeah, through ridiculous. a 20-foot hose pipe or yes. something, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I never met Judy's before like that day. I wish I had in Manchester, but there you go. I've got, I've got, you know what? I was saying about me a little bit of a morbid story, and it was, I didn't touch it, but I've also got a revelation, Dave, and I've got to tell you this because I know no one else is listening. Now, you know, my obsession with Helga, Dave, as a young lad, oh, yeah. probably underage, let's say that, and, you know, morally, it's probably wrong, but I wanted, you know, Helga to you know, take me, ravish me, show me the ways of the world, Dave. You know, this big voluptuous Helga. You know where Helga came from, Dave? Oh, it's Bridget got to be Nielsen. Bridget Nielsen in 100%, this one. <laughs> 100%. I mean, about, you know, around about 13, 14, I was probably about 5'10", 5'11". You know, I'm a 6'2 now, but, what you know, I was I was a top. I always, I don't know what it is. My type is small, petite, but as a kid, 
just to think, I want somebody to just fuck my brains out, Dave. That is Helga right there. I probably should have just called her Bridget, Dave, but Helga, nevertheless. She was the dream in Benidorm, going up in the lift. Helga's at the door. Would you like to come in for a cup of tea? Are you okay? I go in, Dave. The rest is history. And it was born out of Bridget Nielsen, especially the bit when she's telling Bogomil, Dave, when she's got a rather revealing business fucking outfit on. Drove me mad. Uh, yeah. I'm not touching myself, honest, Dave, but that's where she, Helga comes from, honestly. stunning. The legs just, as well. Oh. I just appreciate the kid-style logic. It's like fast-forwarding past the naughty bits a little bit so yeah, no one yeah. knows. Because, you know, I, I think if you'd have given me three guesses, I would have got to Bridget Nielsen on yeah, who Helga obvious. was based on. Because she, <laughs> yeah. she was just so iconic around this time, wasn't she? And, you know, obviously in, she was in Rocky Four as well. You know, very, very prominent in that. And, yeah, she was just different, wasn't she, from most of the other uh, sort of female characters we saw on the screen. I think, I think it was the short hair, maybe, that, you yeah. know, maybe made her stand out and the, the very, very blonde hair as well. But, yeah, I... I... <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Chris, <laughs> I, I do think this, this starts off in an average way. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, you know, the, the the way Eddie Murphy is, there's kind of like a bit of enjoyment. And, and I, like I say, the captain, especially if he's not an actor, it's fucking brilliant. His delivery yeah. is, is just great. And I can't find the, uh, I, I can't find the, or anything within me to actually like Jeffrey because he's still the corporate arsehole from Aliens. Right? That's how I always <laughs> yeah. think of him. And he, he was obviously in Stranger Things, wasn't he, more recently. But um, I think once it gets going, certainly once he gets into Beverly Hills, it gets yeah. much, much better. And, and yeah. I think, you know, it, especially the music – I think they they walk the line of maybe overusing the theme tune, yeah, because it it appears so much. And and we've watched like you know crappy kung fu movies and stuff, haven't we? Where we're like they've got one theme tune and they are fucking hammering it to death. And they do use this a lot, but I love the timing of it. I love when they bring it in, you know, because it's usually because Axel's got away from some with some fucking scam or something like when he's got the vitamins and he's pretending it's like fucking some uh, explosives yeah some yeah. radioactive poisonous <laughs> thing or or something and then you know he gets away with it it's like you know it's just yeah fucking chris i fucking loved it yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that there. I love when he steals the house. He goes, Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Building Inspector, pulls yeah. his fucking gut, his, his <laughs> cock badge out, and this guy's going, uh, the, whoever they are, they've gone to fucking Hawaii, they want the house round. They were living a fucking donut there, and that fucking guy's like, it's military. And Alex goes, it's military. And the whole, he shuts the whole construction down on this mansion yeah. and then just moves in as a cop. <laughs> and, and all the way through, you've got that thing like, you know, I wasn't always a cop. I fractured the occasional law. In the first one, obviously, his mate who gets shot, you know, mm-hmm. at the start, they talk about robbing cars, don't they, and all that stuff. So it, it's, I just love the dynamic of the three of them. You've got Taggart who's trying to play the straight man and he's still like you know i'm a cop you can't do this accent and billy's yeah. just so easily fucking led billy's like a little six seven year old kid and he's just like come on we can do this we won't get caught you know he's so enthusiastic and they play up to that 
more and more. I mean, I, Judge Reinhold, I loved it. I went to the cinema to watch it. It's probably a load of shit. And I've had it in the back pocket. But you ever watch Vice Versa? Which is yeah, a, yeah, a cheapo yeah. version of Big, basically. But yeah, I, I went to cinema to watch that with him. And at the same time, yeah. Look Who's Talking was out as well. So... Yeah, I was, I was invested in all these people in this movie, Dave. I was so gutty when Bogan and Ronnie Cox turned up like, the year before, but he's a baddie in Robocop. I'm like, he can't kill mm. fucking Lieutenant Bogomil. But I think when he gets killed and Axel goes there, you're right, it changes slightly. But because I've seen it, I, I can't watch it without being unbiased. I can't be subjective, Dave, because I just mm. know everything. And like, you've got finger, Dave, legend Dean Stockwell. Out of fucking uh, Quantum Leap, absolute. Oh, yeah, I loved yeah. Quantum Leap as a kid. I love that on BBC Two, and he's in it. You know, Charles Kane, the Alphabet Bandit, and then you've got Lutz, the Chief Police, who's an absolute wanker. You know, and they allude to he's firing everyone because really he fires Bogomil, but Billy's the one who's fucked it all up. And he goes, "You two, yeah. reports a traffic duty," and it's like, "Hang on, I, why? I know I'm in charge, but." And he says, I back my lads. It's just, yeah, it's very strange, that dynamic. And this Lutz is a prick. But as it goes on, the stuff with the the gun club, when he goes in and just destroys the screens, and she's there, six-foot blonde, firing a fucking machine gun. Bent over, (laughs) Dave. Helga. Oh, my God. I'm getting stirring now, Dave. It's wrong. I know it's wrong, but Helga is there. When he says, you know, I'm offering my grooming services, I want to take you shave your legs. It's just, like, so silly. And, and it is a one I mean, in a million. Some may say harassment today. So, but, some would know. say, yeah, you're getting cancelled <laughs> for that. But uh, but but he's, it, there is the fact that the the one thing that always gets me as a kid, and even now watching it, is that Taggart goes, "Oh, there's a guy called Russ Fielding at the LA Gun uh, Bad Hills Gun Club, or whatever it is." And it's like that's the fucking place where they're all hanging out. Maxwell Dent, the baddie, <laughs> you know, and all this yeah. sort of thing, like everything. They didn't go to a few gun clubs. They just went straight to source and realised that this was the fucking place. And it's like, there's a six-foot blonde in there. And they, they, as I said before, they wish you wash your offers like Taggart and Rosemary, six-foot blondes everywhere in LA. And he's like, it's like, it's like they're completely incompetent until Axel comes there. It's like nobody yeah. in Beverly Hills has ever solved the crime correctly, have they? It's like they've stumbled across it. Do you remember Get Smart, Dave? The rip-off of like Mission yeah, Impossible as a yeah. kid. It's like that or Inspector Gadget. It's like Billy and fucking Taggart have <laughs> never solved the fucking crime. Even in the first one, when they're talking about Barabons and coffee grounds and Taggart and that and all these four detectives, them to you know, banana in a tailpipe, they're all together. And, and Bogle was just going, Yeah, he talked about that. What does that mean, coffee grounds? It's like you've been cops longer than fucking <laughs> Axel Foley. He's like late 20s. How the fuck have you never known about this? So these loads of things, but they are just like bumbling buffoons. And it's like Axel Foley trained everyone in the Beverly Hills Police Department to actually solve crimes without him being there. It's so bizarre at times. Yeah, I mean, th- there is no nuances, though. I mean, it, it is that that is what it is. He's the competent one. He's a bit of a chancer, you know, and he he's lived life on the other side of the law a bit as well, you know. So he's streetwise, isn't he? Whereas these kind of clean cut uh, cops, like you say, they've never solved a crime seemingly <laughs> in their life, but. You know, Billy and, and Taggart, I mean, they, they're basically like Laurel and Hardy, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, Billy was my favorite sort of side character as well when I was growing up. And it, but I just, on this rewatch, and I must admit, Chris did watch it twice. So, you know, when I do enjoy something and I've got time, I, I will 
watch it a couple of times just because you know just doing a flyby you, you'd you'd well you pick up more don't you on the second watch yeah yeah and of it's just they're, they're borderline playing him like someone with fucking learning difficulties they? yeah, know, yeah. It's like a, he's got his gun obsession and everything that everyone kind of hints at you know we need to have a talk about this kind of thing but you know how does this guy become <laughs> a police officer is beyond me but yeah i can see why when i was younger you know you just gravitate towards him because he's got that kind of childlike naivety hasn't he but you're looking at it now and thinking, actually, we're, we're kind of re- relying on you to solve crimes. <laughs> you know? So you shouldn't be in that fucking job, mate. Yeah, you're right. It, it's it, it, and as an as doing it for the podcast because we talked about this, didn't we? The other night we recorded now the reality one. You said to me, "Are you going to see it differently because you're reviewing it for the podcast?" Mm. Now you see, and I can't, Dave. There's some movies I just can't look past. I think, I think objectively. The first movie is a miles better movie. Let's be honest, it mm. is a better movie. But this second one just hits for me every time. If you said to me, which one are you going to watch? And I watched Beverly Hills Cop 1 while I was on the plane from New York to Vegas in September. I've not watched it since we actually, you know, we actually reviewed it. And it's a cracking movie. I absolutely loved it. I mean, you know, I know when you're on a plane, you've got nowhere to go, so you can't mess about on your phone. You watch it and just watch it. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic movie. Is It's so, so good. But this is just silly. And I just like that mix of silly. I know in Lethal Weapon 2, they do it. but I, And I love Lethal Weapon 2, especially at the end. They always get emotional at the end with, with Riggs when he gets fucking shot and that. But mm. the first one is miles better film, one of my favourites ever. So this, this, I don't know what it is, Dave. I, you, I, I'm pulling holes in it now, but I can forgive every single bit of it because I just love it. I watch it. And it does go at a quicker pace, I think, once he gets him Beverly Hills because it just goes from set piece to set piece, doesn't it? They get a bollocking from Lutz. They don't listen to him. Like the first one, they go, and then they go to the club. Now, one of the things, what's about the club, Dave? 385 North is the club. That Nick Fomopoulos, who's the, the gun runner. Mm. He doesn't really speak, Dave. He's sort of like an extra through the whole movie, but he's the big gun runner. And Taggart, again, throws in that fucking little bit of plot thing. Yeah, Nick Fomopoulos, oh, yeah, he's a big gun runner, him, you know? And they go to his <laughs> club. And that's when there's a great line when he's in the gun club axle. And we say it as we've said this for years when we're gaming, when we're taught another Beverly Hills cop line, Dave. And it's when Maxwell Dent gives it to the, the guy and uh, to, Kane, Charles Kane, you know, he goes to him, he goes, uh, Dean Stockwell, he goes, kill him, burn him, blow him away. And he gives him the, you know, because he gives him the address only where he lives. But there's always, and I'm going to, this is so daft, you can tell him what to watch this. There's a continuity issue, Dave, because when Kane gives the two assassins, one of them's the guy from the start who comes in with Bridget Nielsen, they're in a Camaro, a newer style Camaro, which is the same, it's the same car, basically, as the Pontiac Trans Am, like Firebird from... Night Rider. It's the same platform, everything. It's just, it's badge Camaro. When they go to the club, they're driving an older Camaro, which looks like a Trans Am Davis smoking and it always bugs the shit out of me. I'm like, you're in a completely different car here. <laughs> and it still bugs me. But me and my two brothers, the reason I'm getting to this, me and my two brothers have this massive discussion and it's gone on for 30 years, right? And this is going to sound so pathetic. And Nathan, my brother, he he's the third in line behind me, Adam, and then Nathan. He put it in the group the, the other week and we were, we were started arguing over it. And my sisters are like, why are you three still going on about this after all these years? Because we all used to watch it. So when they go in the club, obviously Axel says fucking target looks like fucking... <laughs> 
the ex-fucking president, Gerald Ford, you know, the Betty Ford clinics, his wife, and it's the <laughs> alcoholic. And she's like, you look so much better in person, you know, and you've got George Michael playing, you know, sexy something and all that. When they go outside and them assassins are there, they come to the bottom of the stairs and Axel says, and I can say this as fucking our podcast, my brother's not going to listen to it, it's the pair of bellends. But he says, gun, right? He goes, gun! And they jump and disperse, don't they? Start shooting at each other and there's a shootout. My brother Adam says, he says, a gun. And my brother Nathan says, the gun. And now Nathan's probably the cleverest of the three of us. I'm like, but if he says the gun, that's specific to a gun, as in Dirty Harry, like, you know, Magnum 44 and all that. It's like, it can't be the gun. And Adam says, a gun. And I'm like, he's just said gun. Why is he going to put an extra letter or a word in front of something when you're going to get get your head blown off? So it, I've even looked at the script and it says fucking gun. And they still won't have it. And this has gone on for 30 years, Dave. Nathan put it the other week. He just put the gun. And I'm going, fuck off. And then it's like, it's gun. And he even got the script out and Adam's going, it's a gun. And they won't have it. They're not even winding me up. And we have a massive debate on this one scene, Dave. It's 30 fucking years. And they still won't admit defeat. That was actually correct. And it's, <laughs> I won't mind if they winding me up going, we knew all along, you dickhead. They genuinely both had their own angle on it. We kept rewinding it as kids. And I said, look, and you, you go, you know, you could slow-mo it. And I go, he's saying gun. He just says gun, gun. <laughs> I'm getting proper irate now. And you know, like the you know the finger later on the fucking lawyer who he rips off Sidney Bernstein. I just want to get on the phone now and go, bitch, to the pair of them, the fuckers. But yeah, he's winding me up. Anyway, Dave, what did you think? Does he say gun and don't say the gun? I'd, I'd have to rewatch <laughs> it, to be honest. I, I didn't particularly uh, study that bit, but does it annoy you? Does it really bug you? Fucking right, think it does, that Dave. you know what it's saying, but everyone else is saying it's something, or someone else is saying that it says something else. <laughs> You remember back in the band days, Chris? Oh, go on. <laughs> go on, Dave. You're not bearing any grudges on this. There was on, one Dave. song, right? Take Her Back. And you and I would talk about it. And they, uh, oh, I can't remember the band name now, but. Um, yeah, yeah, not the end. Pigeon Detectives. That's it, Pigeon Detectives. And. There's a bit, you know, in the kind of chorus and saying, take her back, take her back, take her back to her place, which makes total sense. For some reason, you thought it said, take her back, take her back, take her back to her boys. And every fucking time you would sing that and it would kill a bit of my soul. Hang on, hang on. I, I, I can understand that it sounds broadly, you know, you can mishear it a bit like that. But what fucking sense does that make? Right, listen, <laughs> listen, listen. I remember, I'm sure it's the second verse, that, that the chorus, that he says, take it back to her. But let me investigate. I've got the lyrics right here, Dave. Now, is there someone who used to have to study the lyrics to sing? Right, hang on. So the song goes, oh. well, okay, fair, yeah. He's not sure what he should be 17. Yeah, right, okay, okay. I'm in the song now. Take it back, take it back to her place. Yep, yeah, you're right. Take it back, take it back to her place. Take it back to back to her place. Her place. <laughs> Fuck Is that the you, sound Dave. of a penny dropping? Fuck that- you. <laughs> Fuck off. But no, like, even if you can slightly hear it, it like that, I can, I can hear like, what sense it. does that make? Like, it, well. it's all about taking her back, you know, having a bit of sexy time or whatever. 
Oh my Ooh. god! Who are the boys that you're taking her back to? <laughs> Maybe they're running a train. Dave. That is a very <laughs> different movie, but you know. <laughs> oh my god, that has done me. Yes, we used to debate that, didn't we? And you'd be like, "No, you've got it wrong," and I'd be like, "And I still sing it, even if you told me you not." Know I'm like, "Don't fucking listen, do I?" So fucking, I still would have sang it. Oh my Finally. god! Redemption. <laughs> You've only been bearing a grudge since two thousand and eight. No, honest, you know honestly, <laughs> I've I've fucking forgotten about that completely. To be honest, until you said it. Until now, it looks like yeah. Look, it must have been about two thousand seven. Well, it came out two thousand seven. So two thousand and eight, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> fucking hell! I've got about five different lyrics things open. Going, where the hell did I pull that from? But obviously. As the singer, Dave, there is times where you forget the lyrics and then you, you'll throw a line in and nobody notices just to keep going. Or like Half the World's Away, I was singing it the other week and uh, the brother had the guitar out and I was singing. Get the guitar, Dave. And uh, I was doing a little bit and I did it and I knew straight away, I thought, I'm singing the second verse here instead, you know, instead of the first. And then we watched the band a few weeks ago and I'm watching it I'm going, what fucking lyrics is he fucking singing? He wasn't even singing the song. He was just making stuff up. But everyone was going with it. I'm like, this is us, isn't it? This is me. Remember like where I'd do it, where it's supposed to be a chorus and I'd sing over a solo or something like that, Dave. I've done that in the past. Fucking hell. I remember <laughs> there is one where we're going back to some memories here. I, I just remember oh, she bangs the drums with the Stone, Stone Roses. Roses. Yeah, that was our opener. And there's a bit where it kind of drops down. It's like, doom, 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 doom. You know, it's probably like bass. <laughs> and I'm doing that. Doom, 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 doom. <laughs> and you've launched into the chorus. You're like, have you seen her? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is he doing? <laughs> I think that was in the Barca bar. I, yeah, that was, was a that weird, was specific that memory. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, it was. How many times had I sung that before? Then that was our opening that, song. That was the only time I remember. She but it was just drums. so, oh, God. so jarring. <laughs> In fact, no, it was rock and roll star, <laughs> then into She Bangs the Drums, and then we used to do the kinks all day of the night. Oh, yeah. That, I've, still yeah. Got this, I've still got set list, but yeah, that was the second one in there. I've sang that song loads of times, but I remember <laughs> our second ever gig, and you were in the band, and we did the Market Tavern in Old School, New York. I know you know the story. And we were playing with backing music, and this rock venue got cancelled, the band, last minute. On a Sunday afternoon, we were out. Brother rings me and goes, We've got a gig. These are three of us. The two guitarists, you know, one of the other guitarists never learned anything. I was the singer, second gig, and the other singer, Darren, who he's not with us now, God rest his soul, but he um, he actually couldn't do it. So I signed up being the singer. We went. I only sang over the fucking solo of Don't Look Back in Anger. <laughs> i never forget a brother looking at me and he leant forward. And because it was tobacco music, I fucked the whole song up. And i never forget this, like, him pacing forward and this feeling of warmth, of hate, daggers. <laughs> but to hit me with the guitar, it fucked the whole fucking gig up, Dave. We had about 10 songs. Oh, we died on our arse. That, oh, my. It took all three of us under... It was fucking dreadful. But we still come back for more. But yeah, you've got to live their moments. I never forget. And I never, to this day, he still talks about that. He goes, remember when you fucking sang over? I go, I go yes, you remind me every time we fucking meet up. Oh, it's, it's, oh and this, this place, we literally got like a fucking tumbleweed in the back. Someone was like going, and usually the venues, he was hammered. Everyone's like, yeah you know loving the rock music what did ACDC and we're doing a half-assed shit version of fucking Don't Look Back in Anger it wasn't the best day 
I'm, I'm getting no wonder I'm not a singer anymore. Fucking hell. Oh, it's just weird, isn't it? But I mean, it took me years to figure out that a lot of the times, because you practice it, you hear it so much, you'll spot small little mistakes. And yeah. actually, most most people don't hear them. You know, it's just all part of the live music. Uh, it's only when they're glaringly obvious. <laughs> last one, this. Do you remember? So this is us reminiscing about the band, but we used to do a, a gig Darwin Live, right? And we go to Blackburn. We were we were very popular in Darwin, weren't we? Just before Blackburn. Big in Darwin, yeah. Yeah, big in Darwin. No, we were though, weren't we? We were there yeah, all yeah. the time. We were we were one of their favourite bands in Darwin. There was a pub called the Millstone, which is still there. We started off playing there a few times and it was a, it used to get packed. But then there was another bar at the top called Marigolds, which is an old bingo hall. Absolute twat of a place to take all your equipment because it was a bingo. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. your best of your base cabin that you'd carry it up these fucking stairs. And it was like, it was a massive room that won it. And we played there and everyone would congregate there because it was the only place that would start from 12 o'clock. So every place would shut and everyone would go to the Marigolds, which is. It was a great venue, big stage. You felt like you were in like the Apollo, not the Apollo, no, the Academy, sorry, not the Apollo. I was a bit fucking excited there, Chris. Like the Academy <laughs> on the small room. Yeah. You'd yeah, have yeah. two or 300 people pissed up, favourable, and we went down a storm. And they asked us to headline Darwin Live, and it was the same, I forget it, the Cortinas were playing on the main stage, and we were like the finishing act for Marigolds, which was the, the covers place where all the covers bands were. And we did it, and we did one year, we did the start, and then the second year, we, we, we fingered it, and we did really well. And I lost my fucking voice because we played at the Millstone early on and there was no monitor and I was panicking. I was having honey and lemon and everything. And then there was another band on before us. It was a great band, local, and they were gutted that we'd got like top billing. We didn't get any fucking money for it, but we were just doing it because it was hundreds <laughs> of people. I remember me and you going in the toilet and there was a woman pissing, two women pissing in the sink because the women's <laughs> were fucking hammered. And I was like, It oh was a classy God. place. Classy place, guys. Classy <laughs> place. But it was a great venue. You know what it was like. It was fantastic, wasn't it, as a venue. If you're ever going to be in a band, they are the best venues to play, not a where these three people loved it and i remember we did fucking you two oh what the vertigo is it and oh yeah it was a hard song for me to sing because it's you're right on the edge of like whatever shit range i've got Dave. but it's right on the edge of my range shall we say so it doesn't sound like a fucking strangled cat don't say that i did Dave. but anyway and i went from the first verse right into the end verse in like 30 <laughs> seconds the song lasted about 40 seconds and everyone in the place is like what the fuck's going on? And nobody, not everyone's going, yeah, you know, cheering us and everything. And I remember you start going, what the fuck have you just done? <laughs> I don't know what I did. Because it starts off, doesn't it? You know, the lights go out. And then it's like, I went straight into it. And it was always one of them songs I had to concentrate so much so it didn't sound terribly out of key. And I just launched into the end. And I remember, I think it was the drummer, Ace, going, fucking hell, that's one way to get round the fucking middle bit, you twat. I, like, <laughs> I don't even remember that, but what a fucking, oh, brilliant. Absolute nothing to do with Beverly Hills Cop 2, Dave, but you took me on a fucking no. proper uh, memory thing there. That's brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. No, no, it's good to, I forget about a lot of this shit, to be honest. But um, I, I think the, it was a unique moment in time, wasn't it? Because like, it was through you and Tom, really, that we caught like 
you know, things like Arctic Monkeys and, oh, and a yeah. uh, bit of the Fratellis, like Chelsea Dagger would always go oh, down massively even well. now it does, Dave. There, there weren't many bands playing that stuff. It, no. it was too new, wasn't it? So, yeah. you know, plenty of bands playing like Back in Black and stuff like that. But to do like several different generations of indie, you've got like Stone Roses, Oasis, but then you had all the, the kind of mid-2000s stuff as well. I think that... We had a good fucking set list, to be fair. We did. and I mean, like, Franz Ferdinand, Take Me Out, was always a good one. The Enemy. In the Kaiser Chiefs, so fucking eight. Take me out. Take me out. Stormer. Yeah, it went down so much better than when you listen to it and it's recorded in the studio and everything. But then when you're in a pub and everyone's fucking ailed up and, you know, it gets to that bit. Ding. The bass line, the drums. Yeah, it's just like fucking brilliant. Fucking nuts, don't they? Yeah, they do. And the enemy used to go down well there, away from here. Yeah, yeah. you're right. The pigeon detectives, they were. So the reason we got into the Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, the one that says take it back to her place. Yeah, that one, Dave. Uh, (laughs) But the Arctic Monkeys, the reason we got ahead of the curve, and and I I, I mean, I believe, I've not seen it, but they were on at Glastonbury last night, and apparently Alex Turner was useless. He was terrible. And I love the Arctic Monkeys. The first two albums, especially the first one. But we oh, got the amazing. we got the demo version of it. So Tom, our drummer, he was a bit younger than me. I was about twenty five at the time. He's about twenty one. He used to go to the student union at Manchester and that a lot and watch bands. And the Arctic Monkeys were the first band to get to number one without actually releasing into the charts. Mm-hmm. Because Joe Wiley had them on, and she championed them for ages. And they used to give the demos out. Now Tom had the demo CD with Fake Tales of San Francisco, but with the the non album version so it had swearing in it which is what i always used to sing when we did that's my favorite arctic monkeys tune and we'd listen to it and then tom's like why don't we do this and they were getting a bit of thing on bbc one radio with joe wiley and all that and we played that before they even hit number one so we got this is Mm. 2007 2006 2007 so i'm not just saying that but we genuinely were, were ahead of the curve and i think that's why we did so well and i'll still say to you dave whatever you think of my singing what listen to what people have been saying I can sing them fucking songs better than that fuck, even though I was the originator. I always had the tone <laughs> right. I'm sticking by it. I sang it the other week. That made it run the dance floor at work. Well, a few months ago at work to do. Went down a storm. May have sounded shit if maybe someone had played it back day, but I was always confident in them songs because they would just throw away top songs. Whereas now, Arctic Monkeys, he's up his ass, Dave. He's a wanker. But there you go. Anyway. Well, it definitely suited your range. And yeah. um, I, I, I still maintain now, Chris, but I'm not going to get on my soapbox that we should have focused on that stuff more yep. and not pissed about with things like sitting on the dock of the bay Fuck just in case me. we played a fucking social no. club one week no. oh my god and we hated social we always refused to play them didn't we we got to the point where we'd done them cut our chops and we're like we're not going to a fucking social club where we play in between fucking hunt the key and the bingo how many times did we have duped? good payers we got duped didn't we i remember us doing a gig once in liverpool and we went down like a fart in an astronaut suit and we ended up finishing with fucking sex pistols pretty vacant and that was the only song mm. like got a clap everyone hated us dave i never forget it i'd never forget doing that gig it was on a sunday it was fucking terrible but you're right because you know last night i was at this do 50 if you know what come on and they were going crazy at the end summer of 69 what a load mm. of shit it come on i got my oh, first I real six i, I hate it love that song. No, i hate it i hate it because of that middle bit singing it i fucking hate it but everyone's oh, going crazy. you singing it's horrendous but the actual oh, thanks, brian adams song <laughs> 
But that middle bit was terrible. It went up a key that I was, I was in a key that I, I think even even Ian Brown couldn't fucking recognise Dave, and he's a terrible singer. That's a, I just but they were the songs I didn't want to do. I wanted to do indie, mm. pure indie, Oasis, Stone Roses, The Beatles. We did a bit of punk, a bit of rock, but I wasn't even bothered about that. I just wanted to do indie music. You know what I mean? They were the stuff we were good at. That was our yeah. our forte, and we were ahead of the curve at the time. And I know that sounds big headed or dingy, but there was a point in time where we were one of the best cover bands in the Northwest. And I don't say that often because I, I always have imposter syndrome with singing. But I do think, as a band, with you, Ace, or Aiden, that we had some fantastic musicians basically driving me. It don't matter how bad a singer or good I was, we had a great band. No, but not to blow smoke, like you say, that kind of indie that that arctic monkeys type range was you <laughs> i mean yeah. i i wasn't in the band when you did summer of 69 to be honest <laughs> but i can tell you straight away that is a fucking horrendous choice yes also sitting on the dock of the bay oh my god choice. things like the, the fucking rolling stones <laughs> no, no. there is no way you are hitting most of those notes no nope. nope. <laughs> definitely not in the right order so yeah, but anyway, um, that, that's maybe for another day. We should speak about Beverly Hills Cop again. <laughs> yeah, we just dragged this out. It's going to be a three-hour podcast. Everyone's like, I wanted to put Axel Foley, and you're talking about how good you are, Chris. So, so, so Blake usually, you know, he, he'll, he'll ping sometimes, you know, if uh, if something's particularly long or particularly short, and I think that's a little bit of an indicator or did they enjoy <laughs> it or not. And so he's going to see this for three hours. Yeah. Fucking hell, you know, let's get the kettle on. There's definitely a story here, Chris, you <laughs> egomaniac, telling him how good you were. All I'll say to you, Dave, you were in the band then. We got endorsed by Manny out the Stone Roses, who said to us, we were better than the Stone Roses live. That'll do for me, Dave. That's all I need to know when he was DJing that gig. So that's all I need to say. Next, let's carry on and talk about Axel and his dick itching, Dave. <laughs> so, um, you know what I find interesting about this, Chris? So we we have that nostalgia. It hit us right at the the perfect time almost. So I'd have been eleven when this came out, and so probably close to twelve when it you know actually uh, got to see it on the video. And you know you're going from enjoying more kiddie type movies to you know proper or not proper but violence and and exaggerated violence and. You know, one of the bits where they're going like, uh, oh, you need authorization or something like that. And then you've got two coppers just in, in the middle of the fucking street. And then they shoot this thing and they're like, authorized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. I'm like, all right, I'll open the fucking door for you then. You know, you fucking maniacs. But um, Chris, on IMDb, it gets 6.5 out of 10, which is not great really, is it? But worse than that, on Rotten Tomatoes, I from know. the reviewers, it I gets know. 46%. I know. I've, I've, I've seen it before and I'm like, I'm not having it, Dave. I'm not having it. Um, what was Killer Clowns last week? Better stop it now. <laughs> but, but what about when he goes? So that bit they authorised, they end up at the Playboy Mansion. Did you see Chris Rock there, Dave, in one of his first movies? Yeah, yeah. So really young Chris Rock, wasn't he? Uh, so, um, you know, oh, you don't have an answer for that. Me, me Apple Watch has, just, <laughs> has not got an answer for Chris Rock, Dave, and Beverly Hills Cop. But I do love that line he says when he goes, "Yo, yo," and he goes, "What?" He goes, "I get ten dollars for a car, twenty dollars for a limo, 
what the hell? And he goes, that's $50 parking next to a limo. You know, and he's in a fucking dump <laughs> truck. But I love the bit with fucking Hugh Hefner and that. You know, he goes in and says, someone's done a shit in the pool. And that girl's like, well, he goes, you know, and they're looking out and they tag it. And fucking Rose was like, what the fuck is he up to now? It's like, this movie especially... I never feel, I must admit, I never feel that Axel's in danger. Like in the first one, when he gets yeah. shot by um, oh, Stephen Burkoff's character, Victor Maitland, and he gets shot in the kitchen and that other guy's after him. They feel serious, don't it? It feels like, you know, there's a point here where he, things could take a turn. We know he's the hero and he's ultimately going to get out of it. But there is a bit where in this, it never feels like Eddie Murphy's character is in any danger. It's like he's just no. ahead of the game, and there's like a massive bit of armor around his character. But when he starts having a go at everyone at the Playboy Mansion, I do love that. He's like, <laughs> uh, he goes, Hef! And they're pissing him. He goes, You Hef, now you're falling. And he's like, Fucking looking. And then he's going, This is from Opolis. He's into guns and drugs. And this is Max. Max kills cops for a living. <laughs> and everyone's turning around going, What? I've got to say, Dave, there's some nice. Um, you know, bum shots there. Some of the girls playing volleyball. I, I always stuck in my head as a kid. Oh, but, I, yeah. I didn't notice. No, no, no. I've just, I just <laughs> seen this on my first watch, Dave. But yeah, it's weird how they use Hugh Hefner. What a fucking strange thing at the Playboy Mansion, you know. So, I think that, wasn't it one of the first? I think it might have been the first time there was a movie shot there. Yes, yeah, it was. That wasn't a porno, Dave, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> that I've not probably watched, but there you go. <laughs> but yeah, that sets it all up then because. The, the timeline's a bit skew if here. So, obviously, they know it's, they already know it's Dent. They've said it all the way through. And then it's a case of where's the next one going to be? It's going to be E. And they end up back at the police department. That fucking Lutz is kicking off at all of them. And he's, he's tearing strips off him. And then the mayor has a pop at him. Is like, you know, and he's like, oh, sorry about that, Harold. He's like, gee, you know, mayor fucking thingy to you and all this shit. And then, obviously, the, the end up, it's his daughter. He speaks to Pokemon's daughter, Axel. She's like, yeah, he's at Aperian Fields, which is the racetrack. He's the only one that's not got, you know, insurance. And I feel old, Dave, when she's talking about the insurance policies. And she's going, yeah, 1974, 1978. I'm like, fuck me, I was born in 78. You know, you realize it's only <laughs> nine years after when she's yeah. talking, this is made. So... That whole bit at the end, there's a few continuity bits when Billy's driving the car, but I've, I've fucking, I'll be here all day, I think, talking about them. But the the way it unfolds, and obviously Charles Kane gets killed, in, you know, the alphabet bandit, and Lutz is taking mm-hmm. the fucking dinghy to it. And then the plot device of Bogomil's trainers, Axel, nobody, if you, if you, if I was in your house, Dave, right, even if it was a cop, <laughs> and I saw some fucking trainers, yours with a bit of mud on the floor, all over the fucking, it's a photo go, Dirty bastard. Why has he not fucking cleaned it up? Which I'm sure you would do in my You'd be like, why has he not cleaned it up? It's a bit fucking weird. You wouldn't go, hang on a minute. What's this trying to show me? You know what I mean? Like, that is always one of them stupid bits where it's like, and then that's just like, Bogonel's been here. You know, he's like, oh, has he really? Has he really? Yeah, it's proper, like, like you say, Inspector Gadget stuff, isn't it? Because, yeah. Chris, and I don't know if it's just because we're fucking old and house-trained, but I saw those shoes and like, there's no fucking way you're coming in my house with those Exactly, on. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but the thing is, the amount of mud on them, it's almost like he stopped at the door to take his shoes off to make sure he... he kept the maximum amount of mud to take them into the house. So, yeah, that that looked ridiculous, to be fair. It did. And, th- and then you get the bit at the end, like, so you get the bit where they realise that right next to the fucking 
racetrack, which is a bit like, I mean, my favourite film I've watched recently for absolute ridiculous fucking setting is the Harley Davidson, the Marlboro Man. That fucking bar is right next to a terminal. <laughs> a fucking international airport where you can literally pole vault over onto the fucking airfield and run with the planes. And then you've got this fucking racetrack is next to an oil fucking place you know where he's fucking it's where he is it's an oil field and everything it's right next it's to bizarre, it bizarre wasn't it yeah. i mean like literally no yards away yeah and he's like where's that come from to so the guy who's grooming the horse he's like a dense oil field it's like these wouldn't be this would be in the middle of the fucking desert they wouldn't have an oil field <laughs> in the middle of la would they beverly hills just in the center of beverly hills these are fucking oil fields you know, it's ridiculous it is up there with fucking harley davidson and marlboro man but um but then obviously we get the shootout don't we and and billy fucks it up because axel showed him how to fucking turn an alarm off at the gun club using fucking wrigley's chewing yeah, gum. yeah and i have tried that dave I have tried that as a kid. I'm not that I could broke into a window, but I have folded the fucking, got the Wrigley's chewing gum specifically at Beverly Hills Cop and gone, you know, yeah, yeah element of surprise and all. And put the gum <laughs> on and it, it stops the fucking sensors detecting that you've actually lifted the window up and it all kicks off. But it's when Billy's there and they're having this shooting and they've got shotgun shooting him from about 60 yards away. And it's like a shotgun pellet would not go that fucking far. It would have <laughs> no real impact from like 56. But it's when Billy gets the fucking grenade launcher, the RPG, and yeah, blows yeah. the fucking... He's, he's, he's pressing the button. So he's going to kill Taggart. He thinks he's pointing that way. Taggart's in front of him. He's going to kill him. Yeah. And the next minute, it comes and <laughs> takes the fucking... The, the actual truck out that's full of the guns, done And we have this big fucking shootout at the end. So, yeah, that it's always been silly, that bit, I must admit. Yeah, and it, that bit that you just say about with the rocket launcher, it's almost... The level of slapstick, it's almost... You're expecting... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> to kick in. So, yeah, but I mean, it, it all works out in the end, doesn't it? And again, it, it, the cliches are oozing out of this because Billy, who's, who was reprimanded by the, what what is it? It's not the chief, but whoever it is. Lutz, yeah. He's the you know, chief Lutz, he is. Yeah. That's, his, that's is who he is. is. Yeah. The chief. He's so, a prick, um, yeah. Yeah, absolute prick and, and incompetent as well because, you know, he'd said earlier, told the press, you know, oh, yeah, we've totally nailed this. And I thought, again, you know, that's a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Like, even if – I just can't imagine someone doing that with the lack of information he had. But then Billy's, like, giving it, you know, this is – you know, this is how you solve the crime kind of thing. And so it's just – it's ridiculous, Chris, but you know you can't help but smile as well. Just again, it's just the the nonsense of it. I, I just think it, it's endearing. Yeah, it is, and I love the I love the fight. Uh, the, the fight. I love the way when Lutz is there at the end and he's having a go, and then eventually Billy just goes fuck this and just starts laying into him. And then he goes, you know, uh, if you obviously get your head out of your ass and all this, and then fucking yeah. Taggart's like, yeah, real cops. And then fucking Axel's taking the piss <laughs> at the end saying, you, you know, you've been hanging about with me too long. You're going to have big dicks, afros and all this, taking the piss out of him. I just love the, the stupid interactions, but they've got such a kindred brotherhood together, haven't they? And really, it shows them doing fishing, and obviously Bogner cancels the fishing. But I, they, they've only they've probably hung about together a few times, haven't they? But it's like it, it just works. I just feel as if like I know all three of them and the characters, and I love that mm. at the end because all the good guys come 
you know, they, they they all come together and obviously fucking Bogomil ends up being the cap to Chiefs then, doesn't he? Which is like yeah. the end of the, That's where they should have ended it. The third one is fucking awful, Dave. Oh my God, it's <laughs> terrible. And the theme Well, park. Chris, my next pick. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so I don't know if I've seen the third one, you know. Don't I, fucking I think do I've it. been kind of put off. And you know, I've also not seen Robocop 3 as well. I've seen uh, all Robocops. I yeah, have. so that but that one had been delayed, I, and in my head it was delayed for years and years. Oh, but uh, it's, it's, I don't think it was actually that much. You know, it's probably still the eighties. But yeah, I need to watch that one at some point as well. I, th- I think it's. I think the third. I think the second one's not bad, but I think the third one's like a fucking TV movie, if I remember correctly. I've seen them. I've definitely seen all three of them, Dave. It might be ninety, maybe the third one. That's not mm. for long, but yeah, it's not fucking good. But no, don't watch Beverly Hills Cop 3. If you think this has got a bit of slapstick, fuck me, it's full on National Lampoons. I'm not even joking. It is, <laughs> it's, at a, it's at a theme park. Oh my God, don't watch it. Honestly, and I love Axel Foley. I'm dreading what they're going to do with this fourth one. I hope they just go back to the roots of it being, but, but maybe more towards the first one with the odd little bit of a wisecracking that, because that's the character and the laugh and everything. Mm. The laugh's synonymous with Eddie yeah. Murphy. But honestly, the third one is one of the worst films you've ever seen. And maybe throw it in there at some point then, Dave, just to piss you off. Well, but it's terrible. I, I will be watching the fourth one, no doubt. But I, I am a completionist, so I can't take your advice and not watch it. I, I do yeah. have to watch it at some point, definitely, before I watch the fourth one. Fair play, fair play. So, Dave, should we get into our scores? Let's go. Right, I'll get mine out of the way, Dave. It's fucking pointless. It's going to the top. What a surprise. You are absolutely blown away by that revelation. It's a movie that means so much to me. It was the first movie I ever got bought for me with Lethal Weapon. Absolutely love it. I ended up getting Beverly Hills Cop 1 after this. Then I got The Golden Child, which is a fucking shit movie, if I can remember correctly, Dave, because the porridge scene still pisses me off and used to make me feel sick. Uh, Golden Child, Eddie Murphy. Iconic, though, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, Charles Dance is the baddie and everything. Just didn't like that movie at all. I had it on VHS. But this is me, peak Eddie Murphy, silliness. I love Taggart and fucking Rosewood. I love the idea behind it all. It's Beverly Hills, it's brash, it's over the top. It's got everything I want in these like late 80s, early 90s movies. It's brilliant. It's a buddy cop movie, and I just it's everything I want. So it's going right to the top, Dave. It's going to Cloud City. That's a completely different movie, a different podcast is Cloud City, I believe. Is that right? No, it's like Cloud City, no, isn't it? the it right is. one. We are on the right one. Why am I thinking of the comics emotion? We've yeah. not done a fucking podcast <laughs> for ages, but Cloud City. You did City, have me maybe. thinking for a second there. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, is, is it it's a Asgard, scale? isn't it, on fucking comics? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yes, anyway, Cloud City all the way. So go on, Dave, hit me with it. Well, from my side, Chris, like I say, I don't have the the perspective that I've kept watching this throughout the years. So a lot of it, I, I didn't remember. I remembered more of the feelings. I remember, you know, really liking Billy and, uh, you know, him just being a bit silly. You remember things about just the way Axel is an absolute chancer, but he's also that streetwise cop, isn't he? Who's almost like coming in to show these clean-cut Beverly Hills cops how it's all done. I do think, I I can see absolutely why it it doesn't rate that highly with, uh, you know, the likes of IMDb. And I think the Rotten Tomatoes (laughs) score is a bit harsh, to be fair. But, 
objectively, I think the first one is a better movie. But for pure entertainment, for pure just buddy cop 80s nonsense, I, I think it's great. And like I say, the, the only thing, the only problem with the music is I couldn't shake the fucking crazy frog uh, thing <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, fucking <laughs> hell. But. But when it's actually so, so you know, when you're thinking about the movie after and stuff, the crazy frog appears where the the music appears. But in the movie, when that kicks in, it just makes you feel warm. It just makes you feel really good. Now, I can't put it to the top, Chris, because I I do think it is, you know, objectively, it's it's, it's actually not that great, but it's so so entertaining. So, like I say, I think for me, it is a Pleasantville and a very high one as well. I did deliberate about Cloud City, but I just think it's it's just not quite enough. And I do think like the first almost half of the movie is not nearly as good as the second half. I think when it does ramp up the nonsense, I, I think it just gets better and better in the second half. I can't argue with that, Dave. I can't argue with that. That is... Brilliant, and I'm actually smiling. And you talk about the music, Dave. Harold Faltermeyer's the guy who did the music, which I knew, but he did obviously Top Gun, Tango and Cash, Fletch, Dave, The Running Man. So he's he's got a bit of a thingy. Obviously, Axel F was his song that was, that was mm. synonymous with his Beverly Hills. Everyone knows that. But ding, I'm actually ding. smiling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'm smiling that you've done that. I thought you were going to throw it under the bus. So uh, as someone who, who it means so much to, the podcast lives another day. So anyway, well, it might do depending on what your next pick is, David. So what have you got for me? Because I don't even know what we're doing. You don't, Chris. And I think we should. I'm not going to lay this up at all. Now, I will give it in broadly. I'll say it's in the 90s. It's not an 80s one, this one. But let's just get into the trailer. I watch that dance scene all the time on TikTok, Dave. John Travolta and everything. I do believe she was so sexy in this. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. Pride only hurts, it never helps. In the fifth, your ass goes down. I have to say, play the matches, you get burned. <laughs> we should have shot guys with this kind of a deal. We're in a lot of danger, aren't we? I'm prepared to scout the earth for that night. So many stories about this film. Oh, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration? <laughs> get down, get down. You got a corpse in a car, minus a head in the garage. Take me to it. Oh, you love the wall. This is the best ever performance for me. Yeah. Samuel Jackson. Way out with cheese. Don't you hate that? Hate what? Uncomfortable silences. John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, Uma Thurman, 
Harvey Keitel, Tim Roth, Amanda Plummer, Maria de Medeiros, Bing oh. Rings, Eric Stokes, Long trainers, Rosanna Parquet, yeah. Christopher Walker, <laughs> I don't care. It's a fucking grave, so. Looking at something for him. Eat my friend, Luca. Die, Eric Stokes. <laughs> a new film directed by Quentin Tarantino. What's she gonna do then? Basically, I'm just gonna walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. I fucking love that line. I fucking love this film. It's so good. He's definitely a classic. And so, Chris, it is the 1994 Quentin Tarantino movie, Pulp Fiction. Now, this was my first year at college. Every fucker had this poster from the poster sale (laughs) up on their room wall. And so, uh, yeah, I got a lot of fond memories of this one. You have pulled this out the bag. And I just did notice at the end credits of the trailer, produced by Harvey Weinstein. Let's not talk about yeah, that, Dave. we should probably but... skip across uh, a bit of Miramax Studios. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's skip across that. No, you know we've talked about this. This movie means a lot to both of us, doesn't it? So it's like, we, I don't. it's one of the movies, really, when we started the podcast, it should have been in the top 10 first movies we did. But obviously you got waylaid with your Lauren Avedon obsession and then it's just fucking, you know, it's sat on the back burner. But no, honestly, I can't wait to talk about this because I think as I've got older, I appreciate the movie so much more. You know, just everything that's going on, the way it flicks timelines, the little... Um, Reservoir Dogs thing, Vincent and, and his brother, Vincent Vega, and obviously it's uh, Michael Madden in it. He's his brother mm. in the, the yeah, first yeah. one. Uh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, yeah, I'm really excited to do this one, Dev, and I'm not just saying it. It's an absolute iconic VHS classic. Yeah, and I have to confess, this this one is in my regular rotation. So it's like you said with this film, Beverly Hills Cop 2, we could probably talk about it now, but I will watch it. Yeah. I will rewatch it and then just probably have more of a critical discussion about it. But I can't imagine I'll have too many bad things to say about it. Um, I mean, uh, some of the lines out of this, like you say, they, they just live on in uh, in your regular pop culture reference discussions, don't they? So, yeah, yeah looking forward to this one. You're right. I always wanted a Royale cheese, Dave. Always yeah. as a kid. But there you go. <laughs> uh, but no, thanks, mate. Honestly, I'm so pleased. I thought, what the hell? He's going to throw some fucking horror or sword and sorcery shells, but you've actually pulled I, I did out one of the greatest Death Stalker movies ever. two last, so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll pick a good one this time. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, my next one's going to be fucking dreadful, Dave. I've got it right in the back pocket, but I'm pleased you've gone down this route, mate. So absolutely brilliant. So as always, guys, thank you so much for listening today, especially us talking about the band. You know, <laughs> Chris being an egomaniac at one point. We do appreciate you sticking with us. If you want to email us, the VHS Strikes Back at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on social media at the VHS Strikes Back. If you do want to support us, get over to patreon.com forward slash the I nearly said the CD reality cast, but that's a different podcast that we do. <laughs> the VHS strikes back. So the roll call of honor. And I do before, just for the roll call of honor, I will pass over to Dave because we do have a review. But anyway, let's do the roll call of honor. So big thank you to our supporters, Mr. Tony Farina, John Hammond, Blake, Maths, Jack Herb, Lucky Lulu Green, Kent, Heath, Matt, Tim, Timothy, Susan, Justin, Dan, Trent, Stephen, and Dylan. 
Helen and Lee. I almost forgot two people. I sorry, Helen and Lee. So thank you so much for all your support. It's abs- honestly, it's amazing the amount of people who support this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Everyone who who does now, past and present. Honestly, it's so so nice here. So go on, Dave. Let's hit me with the five star review. You know, it's so heartwarming to listen to all the people who uh, like us and support us. But Chris, we have a review from the other end of the stand. <laughs> <laughs> These are the best ones. Go on. <laughs> So, this one is from Welcome to Primetime, and it's from the US store. Welcome to Primetime, so uh, Dream Warriors reference, I'm assuming there. Bit of a horror, horror movie fan, probably. And the subject, Chris, says, they hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the best bit. Smug, uptight, and whiny. These guys hate everything. What's the point? No, thanks. <laughs> what review? Got me one out of five. Oh, it's a one star. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, well, at least they've tried to listen to us. Cheers for the review. Um, but I I'm assuming they listened to one of our horror movie podcasts, probably, probably like Killer going. Clowns or something. Yeah, me going, that's fucking shit. Yeah, fucking Chris again moaning. But that's what we do. If you don't like yeah. it, don't listen. But thank you for the review. At least someone took the time and effort. They were so infuriated. They're like, right. Fuck you! I'm knocking you down. I'm having a, and we love the bad reviews. We we say that we genuinely mean it. The best one ever is the reality podcast, and those, a lot of you guys don't listen to that. And someone reviewed in and went, "These two don't understand women." And as someone <laughs> who's been married for 25 years next year, they're fucking right, Dave. So, really, honestly, we wear them as a badge of honor. We are not afraid to throw them out and, and read them because I love it. I love it when someone doesn't like what we're doing because we just do it for fun. It's two friends chatting. So, yeah, exactly. what do you want for free? This is not our day job, but I I, yeah, I do like Chris when when someone drops a review like that. I'm interested. What else do they? You know, how does this compare with other reviews that they've left? And it it led me to a different kind of similar podcast. I've not listened to them, but it looks pretty much what we do as well. So it's called When We Were Young, an 80s and 90s pop culture podcast. And to that one, the same reviewer, also one star, subject, they hate everything. So if you listen to this, though, and think this could have been us, but I actually think the wordsmithing slightly better on this one. I think they get slightly more of a sledging than we do, so I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> says these people are talking about movies from the 80s and they don't even enjoy them. <laughs> Depends which one you listen to. Um, yeah. They don't know how to enjoy anything or just watch something for fun. Boring, moaning about everything, no research into anything. <laughs> this is where I thought it might be us. This is us. <laughs> if, you, if you want to hear people whine about everything like five-year-olds, this podcast is for you. So I liked how it was a bit of a recommendation at the end there as well. So, uh, yeah, I thought I read that one and I thought, well, you could have replaced that. You could have given us that one. But, yeah, so it seems like there's a there's a bit of a running theme with uh, Welcome to Primetime. Yeah, and I think there was one on the reality one. I think one of them, we were like, they're cheeky bastards. I remember, you know, putting the person's name in and basically they just go around slagging 
any podcast off, Dave. I don't think it's prime time. But I never forget it. I was like, oh, every single podcast is getting slated here. Even some of the big ones. It's like they must just sit there. Fuck it. Just being horrible. I'm giving them a one-star review. Maybe they believe it. I don't know. Okay. But I, I found great pleasure in that day, pissing myself, going, why are you wasting your energy and being so fucking horrible and mean to people? If you don't like them, put one out of five, but be fucking constructive. It might improve the podcast, but just, oh, it's brilliant. Oh, I absolutely I love that. I, 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 it depends what mood I'm in, but quite quite like a bit of a sledging. I, and again, I, I think the amusement comes from just thinking this angry little person sat in their bedroom, like fucking, <laughs> fucking, you know, listen to that podcast. Cheers for the download, by the way. Listening to this podcast <laughs> and they fucking they don't like the movies that we like, you know. <laughs> yeah, <Motherfuckers. exactly. laughs> You're always going to offend oh, someone. Dear. Fucking brilliant. So anyway, Dave, before we go. I'm going to end us off, and there's only one way to end us, Dave, and I'm simply going to say to you, Dave, you make my dick itch, and we'll talk about that off off podcast. See ya. (laughs) That sounds so wrong. (laughs) (laughs) There's creams for that. But (laughs) see you next time. I'm not itching it now, Dave. (laughs) Bye. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we gonna do now? What are we gonna do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. I'll be back. That's not. We came, we saw, we kicked its ass. Wax on, wax off. Ding, ding. Bust you up. Go for it. Well, here we go. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Ain't nothing. You must be crazy or something. I'm crazy. You're just a stupid Yeah, maybe you crazy or something. breathing heavy. He's a fool. He's stupid. I see you in six I must break you.